There's a song that the global church has been singing for about 15 years now called Consuming Fire. It's a song about the Holy Spirit. But the opening line of that song is this. There must be more than this. There must be more than this. Now, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, I'm sure that in some form or another, you have prayed that, you have said that, maybe you have used slightly different language, maybe you've been coming to church for a while and going through the motions and rocking up on a Sunday, listening to this bald guy shout at you for 45 minutes, singing a few songs, and you're like, is that it? Is that what this whole faith thing is about? Maybe you think back to a time when you were younger and you realize a time that you were on fire for God and that fire has long ago dimmed out. And you're kind of saying, is is this it? Is this what I'm left with? There must be more than this. Maybe you even start doubting or maybe I was just overexcited as a teenager and, and was that even real? Is this all there is? There must be more than this. Now, I believe at some level, there's a dial in our hearts, whether we're consciously verbalizing that question or whether we've just kind of let our mind go through some of these doubts, there's a dial in our hearts that actually starts answering that question for us. And for some of us, as we say, is this it? Is this what it's all about? In some of our hearts, the dial starts heading towards, no, there's not more than this. This is kind of it. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, some of you would say, listen, I think this is it. I think we've reached the apex and I don't think there is much to this faith thing. And for some of you, you're actually heading on the way out. Because when you think, is there more than this? The answer is no in your heart. But what we want to just do everything in our power to put before you this morning is that the answer is yes. There is more than this. You see, part of the problem we raised this last week is that we tend to fix our eyes on what we can see. So we tend to look at the externals of religion. We tend to look at a pastor. So I come to church and I'm hoping that someone or something's going to fix him or fix her or fix my marriage or, or, you know, fix my career. And, and, And we look to the things we can see. We look to Steve. You look to your small group leader. You look to Craig. You look to the worship team. And we're looking at the coffee. We're looking at what's going on around us. And those are all good things. But those are the externals, those are the structure. That's kind of like the bark of the tree. You see, the real life is within that. At the heart of Christianity is not going to church. Church is central, but it's not at the heart. At the heart of Christianity is not a pastor, it's not a worship team, it's not good coffee. At the heart of Christianity is a person who's dying to know you and be known. It's about a relationship. And he wants to have a warm relationship with you. That's at the heart of Christianity. And when we fix our eyes on what is seen, we can so easily miss out on the heart. But as you mentioned last week, unfortunately, the things that are unseen are so easily forgotten and are so easily overlooked. And then again, we just put our faith in the things that are seen. That's why the series is called Abide. 
Because the reason we pray is not to get something out of God. God is not like some giant pinata and our prayers are like a pinata stick that we smack him with in order to get what we really want. We pray to abide, to know him. We fast in order to know Jesus. We read scripture not to get through our verses for the day. We read scripture in order to know the author of these words. We are in community in order to be part of the body of Christ. That somehow I get to know Jesus better because of you. And you get to know him better because of the people around you and because of me. All these externals are there to point us towards the real thing. The real heart and the real life. And that is why this morning I'm so excited to speak to you about abiding So turn with me to John chapter 15. If you've been in church for a while, you have probably heard this metaphor used before. You may even know these verses off by heart. Um, You can see our decor in the the resource book as well as on the stage as coming from John 15 around this whole abiding passage. We're going to read from verses 1 to 5, John 15 verses 1 to 5. I encourage you, go home, reread these verses, read on. There's so much more richness that continues, but we are going to just stay with these first few verses. It's John 15 verses 1 to 5. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now Jesus is employing a metaphor here. It's not a very complicated metaphor. He says, my father is the gardener. Now some of your Bible translations would say the vine dresser. In other words, he is charged with ensuring that these vines do one thing. And that is bear much fruits. That is what any vineyard owner is interested in. Much fruits and much quality fruit, right? So as we think about this metaphor, we need to understand that when the gardener who is charged with ensuring that the vines bear much fruit, everything he does is to bear fruits. Whether he cuts a branch off, whether he cuts the thing right back at a certain time of the season, whether he lifts a branch up and gives us some special attention, Everything he's doing is so that vine can bear fruits. And if we are the branches, that means everything the Father is doing in your life, whether it's painful pruning, or whether it's cutting you right back, or whether it's lifting a branch up to get more sunlight, everything he's doing in your life is for fruit. This is something God wants for you. So that's part of the metaphor. The other part of the metaphor is Jesus is the vine. In other words, the life is in him. All right, and we are the branches. So a branch lying on the ground is pretty useless. So if we want to experience life, if we want to have more of God in us, if we want to see Him more, taste Him more, experience Him more, we need to be plugged into the source of life, which is the vine. That's pretty much the context of the metaphor. But this morning, 
Because so much could be said about these verses. This morning we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5. Remain in me. Verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Now the word that we get the word remain from is the word that is sometimes translated abide. Pretty old fashioned word. It's not a word that enters our sort of daily language. We don't use it very often. But it is so rich, and I'm hoping that you know, the word abide will become so rich to you. It'll be a word that sticks with you. But again, if we're wanting life, we need to be abiding in Him. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, I know some of us, are really trusting God for some fruit in our lives. I know some of us are praying for a breakthrough. I know some of us are saying, God, I'm needing more of you. I'm needing some fruit, some supernatural fruit in my marriage. Some of you are praying for your children and I'm praying for supernatural fruit in my children's lives. Some of you are praying for some sort of wisdom or financial breakthrough. Some of you are just trusting God with your own life, with your own stuff. And you're like, Lord, I've tried, I've tried. I just can't get over this thing in my life. I can't seem to get over the hill. I can't seem to get through the valley, whatever metaphor you're using. And I'm trusting you to do something that I can't do in my life. We're all trusting God for some fruit in our lives. But here's the thing. Because we trust what we can see, we tend to trust ourselves. So we try so hard to produce fruit. We try so hard to do it ourselves. One of the pastors I enjoy, J.D. Gray, he says, you know, it's kind of like looking at a rose bush and there's no roses on it. And really wish there were some roses on the rose bush. So we go buy a bunch of roses, cut the flowers off and staple them to the rose bush. Now, not only does that not work, it's just sad, Right? Jesus is saying very clearly, apart from me, your branch lying on the ground cannot produce the fruit that you want in your life. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, if a man abides in me, that's what this morning is about. This morning is not about fruit making. We've tried that and failed. This morning is about abiding. Because when you abide in the vine and those vines' roots are deep and healthy, the fruit comes automatically. So we're going to learn to abide this morning. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. God is able to do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine, right? And then we, we, we sing the verse, we memorize the verse, and then we go try and make our own fruit. <laughs> No, no, no. If we remain in Him, we will bear much fruit. God is wanting more for you. God is wanting to do more in you. God is wanting to do more through you. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do something. You can get by. Fake it till you make it. No, no, no. Apart from me, you can do. Say it out loud. Apart from me, you can do. Nothing. If you forget everything else I say this morning, remember that line. Apart from me, says Jesus, the source of life, you can do nothing. 
for this to happen, in order for us to learn how to abide, because this is going to be the hidden life that we spoke about last week. This is the part of our lives that are so easily abandoned and forgotten about. All right, and, and if this is true, if apart from abiding in Him means I'm going to be fruitless, but if I do abide in Him, I'm going to be fruitful. Again, the focus is not fruit making, but abiding. So how are we going to do this? Well, I believe a few shifts need to happen. And the first shift is a shift from head to heart. A shift from head to heart. I believe one of the reasons why this question comes up in our heart, is this all there is? There must be more than this. It's because I've lived it, I've seen it, you've lived it, you've seen it. The Christian life can sometimes feel so inauthentic. Can sometimes feel so hypocritical. Can sometimes feel so phony. And yes, we've got a bunch of stuff up here, but we've got nothing in here. We don't have a warm relationship, life-giving relationship with the source of life, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had someone that at first, the first time you met them, you thought that you really didn't like them? And then once you got to know them, you really realized they were great and maybe you married them, all right? Or, or maybe they just became a good friend in your life. I know when I was studying engineering at Tux, uh, a lot of the guys that were in my class were from Pretoria Boys High. They had a broader friendship circle. One of their good friends was studying BCom. His name was also Steve. And um, they went, he, the Steve guy went up to his friends at, after a few months into the year and said, you know, you know this new friend of yours, Steve from Edenvale? Yeah, yeah. Why does he hate me? And they're like, Steve Pullman. I mean, he's the gentlest guy in the world. I mean, he kick on him, harm a fly kind of thing. He doesn't hate you. And this other Steve guy says, no, well, every time he rides around on his bicycle, because I was 17, so that's what I was doing to get around. And every time he sees me, he's like scowling at me. Now, I don't know what my face looks like when I'm just riding my bicycle. Uh, <laughs> I can understand how whatever the face looks like can be interpreted as scowling. But then, of course, we kind of got over that and, we, and got to know him and he got to know me and we kind of became good friends. And I think sometimes we like that with God. We've got this perception that God is this kind of judgmental, closed-minded, fun-killing zone guy. And when I think about him, I don't think about warmth. I don't think about life. I think about judge. I think about this kind of stern father. And Jesus is trying to say, you know what the father is like. Look at how I relate to the father. I, I, the relationship I have with my father, I want you to have with my father. It's a relationship of life. It's a relationship of warmth. I want you to be so transformed in how you relate to my father that you experience everything I've experienced with him. You know, going back to friends, we've got friends that we have to see. And we've got friends that we want to see, right? Especially if you're married, you're like, hey, honey, uh, so we haven't seen these guys for a while. Okay, okay, all right, let's see. In about two months' time, on your Thursday night, we can see them for two hours, right? Then you've got those other friends, you're like, whoa, are you free tonight? Yes, I'm free, right? We'll clear our schedule to see you guys because you've got the friends that you have to see and you've got the friends you want to see. I think for so, for so many of us, especially if we're praying this prayer somewhere in our hearts, there must be more than this. God is someone we have to see, not someone we want to see. We feel obligated to pray. 
We feel obligated to have our quiet time. We feel obligated to read your Bible and pray every day. But it is most certainly not a place where we find life and warmth, relationship. John Owen was a Puritan a couple of hundred years ago. Um, If you know anything about Puritans or if you know anything about John Owen, I mean, this guy was robust. He's written some pretty thick books. You've got to like take a nap after every second page after reading his stuff because it is rich, it's robust, it's weighty, it's heavy, uh, loves truth, loves doctrine, just big on gospel, big on Bible, big on word. But this is what he has to say. It's quite a headful, so stick with me. This is what John Owen says. Yet I must say that I had rather be among them who, in the actings of their love and affections unto Christ, do fall into some irregularities and excesses in the manner of expressing it, than among those who, professing themselves to be Christians, do almost disavow their having any thoughts of or affection unto the person of Christ. Okay, now that is quite a full sentence. I feel like taking a nap now. So, what is he saying? He's saying... I would rather be among Christians who actually love Jesus and maybe in their real love and warm relationship with Jesus, maybe get a bit too excited than amongst those who say they love Jesus, but you can't even tell. John Wesley started the Methodist movement. Also, rich theologian. He went across from England to the Americas and he was there for years evangelizing trying to get people to trust Jesus and he preached and preached and preached with almost no results. On the way back, he was in, on a ship and in a storm and uh, the storm was so bad he started fearing for his life and he literally feared for his life. He was afraid. Then he heard some singing and there was a bunch of Christians called Moravians who were even back then, they were considered a bit weird, but they were total peace and they were singing and they were so full of joy. And John Wesley said, whatever they've got, I'm missing that. In order for us to know Jesus and abide in him, a shift needs to take place. Not abandoning the head, but something needs to happen. The 18 inches between head to heart, where you start having a warm relationship with him. That's the first shift. The second shift is very similar to that. And we've spoken about it in church, but it's to move from knowing to knowing. From knowing to knowing. See, abiding helps us not just know stuff about Jesus, it helps us know Jesus the person. You see, I can know that honey is sweet. In fact, I can draw up the chemical formula that prove the fructose and the sucrose and everything that goes into it and what, you know, how the pollen is converted and I don't know how, how it happens, but you know, I can read the scientific journals proving that honey is sweet. In fact, I can become a salesman for honey and you know, sell it all to you, just telling you that honey is palatable, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's so sweet. You just want to buy some and you can all believe what I'm saying. But it's very different when I actually taste the honey, right? It's very different when that goes onto my tongue and I'm experiencing what I've been talking about. Famous story of a pastor who's walking down the street and you're just watching a father and son in front of him walking hand in hand and at some stage the pastor bent down picked up his son and just started loving on him just gave him a hug and just hugged him and kissed him and told him how much he loved him and and you're my precious son and then he put him back down and carried on walking with him and as this pastor observed this he asked himself this question 
Was the son any more or any less of a son when he was in his father's arms or when he was on the street next to him? The answer is no. Legally, relationally, he was a son. All right, nothing made it more or less. But the thing is, when he was in his father's arms, he was experiencing his sonship. And after that embrace, when he got back down on the streets, he knew, he didn't just know with his head, that's my dad. I mean, no, he knew my father loves me. If I'm honest with you guys, this is something I've struggled with. Moving from head to heart. Moving from knowing to knowing. But where this started becoming a bit more real to me was a few years ago. Working through Ephesians chapter 3 and Paul's praying this prayer. And if you go and pray the prayer, Paul's basically saying, listen, I want you guys, you are rooted and established in love. And I want you to be empowered so that you can actually begin to understand that this love is dimensionless. You'll never understand its height or its depth or its width or its length. Um, And in fact, this love is above knowledge, meaning you need to experience this love, not just know about this love. Now again, I can talk about the fact that God is love. I can quote John 3.16. I can talk about how God loves you and loves me and I can walk out this room never knowing it. But through a process of abiding and some of the things that God is doing in my life at the time, he brought me to a place where I knew that he loved me. And instead of saying these truths and walking outside completely insecure, a complete people pleaser, feeling that I need to do this to earn people's loves, feeling that I need to do that to earn God's love, I could wake up in the morning knowing I'm loved. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. And I knew it and I know it. And it's made all the difference in the world. This is what Paul wants for us. This is what God wants for us. The shift from head to heart and the shift from knowing to knowing. But if we're going to abide, one more shift needs to take place in our lives. We need to shift from incidental to intentional. See, incidental faith is, all right, we can still make church this morning. (laughs) Okay, let's go, but let's make sure we leave at two minutes past 11, right? Incidental faith. Incidental faith is, oh, the Bible, oh, I need to read it. Okay, cool. Let me read it. Let's hope God notices I'm reading it and let's pray a little bit. It's incidental faith. It's giving God out the spare change of the minutes of our day. If we are going to abide, we need to move from an incidental faith to an intentional faith where we are investing in our abiding relationship. Because again, if apart from him, I can do nothing. If apart from me, I can bear no fruit, that means I need to be grafted. I need to be abiding. I need to be remaining in the source of life. And that has to be intentional. What this looks like, we call a very scary term, unfortunately. I wish there was a better word for it. But we call this spiritual disciplines. The D word, right? Now, when I say discipline, I know the first thing you think of is like teachers wrapping your knuckles and staying behind after school and doing push-ups that you don't really feel like doing, maybe needing to discipline your child and suddenly we have spiritual disciplines and we're not filled with joy when we think about spiritual disciplines, right? So let me help reframe that for you. Andy Stanley, who's just got always such a good way with words, he said, 
Discipline is choosing what I want most versus what I want now. It's choosing what I want most versus what I want now. See, what I want now is to sleep in. (laughs) What I want now is to watch Netflix. One more time. One more episode. What I want now is to have people admire me. What I want now is a few more hours in the office. What I want now, I can't handle being, you know, investing in the life of my kids. What I want now is to lust. What I want now is to be greedy. What I want now is some porn. What I want now is to feed my flesh. But whoa, what I want most, what I want most, speaking to some friends last night about a celebrity musician who recently passed away in, at a very young age. And we're just talking about the fact that for most of us, and think back either to today or back when you were in high school, we'd kind of say things like, if only I had a million rand. Like if only I had a million rand, then I would be happy, then I'd be satisfied, then I could buy the car that I want, or then I could write off all my debts, and then I will be happy, right? Or go back to high school and you're at the party, we're like, oh, if only she said yes to me, then I'd feel like the man. Then I'd feel like life has meaning and purpose. Now here's a guy who had everything. Ladies lining up for him. Money as far as I could see. And got to a point in his life where he says, I cannot live anymore. What is it we really want? I want to suggest to you that the things we really want are to be loved unconditionally. To know that even if I screw up, I'm loved deeply and accepted. I believe what we really want is to walk around this world with hope. It doesn't matter what happens in the stock markets. It doesn't matter what happens politically and yes we adapt and yes we try and make the best of our lives but at the end of the day it doesn't matter what happens there's a hope in me that no one can take away I believe we deeply want that I believe we want to walk it doesn't matter whether you're irreligious I believe that one of the deepest desires of our hearts is to walk around this world with faith with a confidence in something that's greater than us I believe one of the things that we crave as humans is eternity and we seek eternity in terminal things they oversell we discover it and we fall short discipline is choosing what I want most those things versus what I want now And if those things only come from the person, Jesus Christ, because God is love, God made a way for me to be loved unconditionally because my sin has been paid for in full. And he calls me son and he calls me daughter. If I'm looking for a faith that carries me, that's a supernatural faith that carries me through this world, a hope that is based on something that is true, a sure hope, it only comes from Jesus. Eternal life is only going to be coming from the eternal one. 
So how am I going to experience those things? By abiding in the eternal one. The one who is life, the one who is love, the one who gives us faith and hope. But this takes time because I know that if I didn't tell you that, you'd phone me on Thursday. Hey, Steve, I tried that on Monday and it didn't work. Right, I spent five minutes reading the Bible and I feel exactly the same as I did on Monday. See, we, listen, we live in a world where things happen so quickly. I mean, some of our kids don't even know what TV ads are. Right, we just press a button, we get to watch what you want. So, true story, this is kind of a very bad, sad joke in our family. Whenever our kids use the word imagine, telling me some incredible story in their mind, they say, yeah, dad, imagine... Again, it's illogical, all right? But I always follow that up with, and some of you will know exactly where this is going to come from. Imagine eating all of that now. Right? TV bar advert from the 80s. You know, and they're talking about imagine being in space. And I'm like, imagine eating all of that now. Dad, why do you keep on saying that? No, no, it's from an awesome TV ad when I was a kid. Daddy, daddy, what's a TV advert? Right? We're so used to just like this fast lane of life. Again, true story, a few days ago, in the kitchen, wanted something out the top cupboard, opened up the cupboard, realized that I couldn't get it. Now, all that needed to happen was get the stepladder, which was literally within my grasp, pull it out, set it up, climb, get the thing out the cupboard, put the stepladder back, and then close the cupboard door. I calculated efforts versus how much I care And I closed the cupboard and walked away from it. <laughs> There's a Russian comedian and, and, and uh, he moved to America a while ago. And, and he says um, what he loved most about America was the grocery stores. Just stuff he'd never seen in Russia before. And he says he walks around the aisle and he sees powdered milk. Just add water and you get milk. Powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice, powdered coffee, just add water and you get coffee. And then he saw baby powder and he was like, wow, Americans have really (laughs) cracked something here. (laughs) And we want our faith in the same way. We want to microwave our faith, press the button, 30 seconds later, it comes out sort of okay with a weird chicken juice on the side, right? Relationships take time. Speak to anyone who's been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Speak to someone who's been married for 50 years, they'll tell you they're still learning about their spouse. They're still learning about their fears. They're still learning about their hopes. They're still learning about their dreams. They're still learning about their brokenness. They're still learning how to do this thing called a relationship after 50 years of marriage. Now, if it takes that long to relate to a finite being, how much more do we need to learn and unlearn to relate to an infinite being? This is going to take time. And we need to give it its time. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before he was ready for God to use him. Apparently the carob tree takes 70 years to bear fruit. I'm amazed to drive around the Midlands. Love the Midlands. One of the most beautiful parts of our country. Especially in autumn. 
and you drive around the Midlands and especially you go to areas like Heimville and, and Underberg and go to that part of our country. And if you've never been there, there's these huge farms and there's these avenues of trees. And I don't know how they did it. I don't know, Tom, you could probably tell me how they did it. If they planted different species or different subspecies of oaks, but they're these oak trees, but it kind of goes in pairs, green, red, brown, yellow, orange, green, red, brown, yellow, orange, green, red. It's just absolutely beautiful. But as I think about that, I'm going, someone thought that would be a good idea, planted the oak trees, and never saw it. I mean, how's that for an investment so that Steve can drive around the Midlands with his family and go, wow. Now guys, this abiding life that God has for us these shifts that need to take place. Again, please hear something we're starting to say very regularly here at Riverside Community Church. This is something God wants for you, not from you. Timothy Keller in his book on prayer, he says, imagine you get notification that some distant relative has died and that you've received an amount of money. And for whatever reason, you just assume it's a small amount of money. So whatever reason, you don't check it out and you just carry on with life. You just carry on paying school fees. You just carry on dealing with your debts, knowing that there's an amount of money somewhere, but you don't really investigate it. Now imagine 30 years later, you just, I wonder what that money was like. And you go and open the account and it is a huge amount of money. And Jesus is saying to us, don't be like that. When there's this cry in our hearts, there must be more than this. Move into the yes. There is. Move into the space of abiding. Move into the space of life and relationship. Paul, in a very famous passage, I'm going to read some of the verses to you. You're not going to be on the screen behind me, but it's Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he says this. And he's using the same analogy here. He says, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. All right? Paul is saying from the place of, you know, I wonder if there's more. He was saying, according to these religious externals, I had it nailed. I was perfect. I had the right blood. I had the right, you know, level of responsibility. People looked up to me. I was an intellectual. People listened to me. People watched me. People followed me. I was faultless when it came to externally observing the law. I was the perfect picture of a religious person. Some of us, when we think about, there must be more than this. Again, we're looking at these externals. Some of us are maybe put off by some of the externals, but there must be more to this. Some of us actually love the externals because Paul actually says here, he says, but whatever was to my profit, there is some profit to religion, to missing out on the heart, but having a bit of Jesus in your life. I think if some of us were dead honest, what we want is religion. I mean, let me put the scenario before you. If I knew, sorry, if you knew God could wave a magic wand and as of this second, you'll never swear again. You'll never get angry with your wife or your kids again. Uh, everything will go right in your life. Uh, you'll have the perfect family with the white picket fence. You'll never lust again. Um, if that was offered to you on a plate, 
How tempting would that be for so many of us? Chasing these externals. And then Paul says here, whatever was to my prophets, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to past presence. There must be more than this to I'm experiencing the more. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. The word rubbish there is actually, it's a naughty Greek word. The best I can maybe give you is dung. What I considered of high value these religious externals that I gave myself to, some of us are actually very committed to these religious externals. We are committed to going into church. We are committed to do, 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 do. We are committed to these things and we have some gain. And Paul says, now that I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, now that I'm drinking from this fountain of living water, that stuff is absolute trash. And what I want for you is this. Last year, I took our kids to Ushaka Marine World and looked at the seals and the dolphins and all that kind of stuff. But uh, our kids were a bit older than the previous time we had been there. And I was so excited to take them to the slides part, the water slides part. And just the way we did it, and I think it's also just the way it's kind of laid out. The first thing we did was the lazy river. You get these like kind of figure eight tubes and you can get two people in each tube and you just float around this lazy river. Our kids thought that was awesome. One step up from there, there's kind of this, um, if you've ever been there, kind of a short little double bend, very gently, gently sloping super tube that you go on the tube with and you slide down into the lazy river and you go around. And our kids were like, oh, this is awesome. This is the best thing we have ever experienced. I'm saying, hey, kids, listen, around the corner, there's some much better slides. No, 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 daddy, we want to stay here. We want to do this one again. We want to do this again, again, again. No, no, kids. But round the corner. Now again, again, again. And she's like, Levi, come with me. First real slide. Whoa. Then the next slide. Then the, that kid, I literally saw him get high on adrenaline before my very eyes that day. <laughs> Suddenly what he thought was the most awesome slide in the world was so boring compared to what he had experienced. Again, some of us love TV. We love watching TV. And then we go and we watch IMAX in 3D. And then we go home to our boring little TVs. Because once you've experienced IMAX in 3D, you're like, I don't know if I can watch TV anymore, right? And Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, don't settle for there must be more than this and this is all I get. There is more. And it's not slightly better, it's infinitely better. Worship team, I'm going to ask that you come up and join me at this stage. I want to provide some space for us as a church to respond. I don't have a list of how-tos. I don't have three things to think about. I don't have anything for you to write down. The words of the song are so beautiful, are so powerful. It's not really designed to be a song for you to join in with, at least at the beginning. As Jules sings the song, Allow the words of the song to hit you. Let the words of the song 
hits you in your heart creates a deeper yearning for an abiding life with Jesus. Maybe close your eyes and let these words wash over you. At some stage, and again, just as a sign of your response and as a sign of your desire, we sang the song Hungry this morning, as a sign of your hunger, as a sign of your thirst. Maybe some of you just want to stand and put out your hands and pray. Again, going from last week, let's just be all 100% of us engaged. The externals are not as important. But God, I'm hungry. God, I'm thirsty for that. And maybe at some stage, you want to add your voice to these voices on the stage. And you want to make these words your words. But first, let God minister to you. Let's maybe start off with like, like this. Close your eyes. Maybe just pray with me in the spirits of this prayer. Lord, there must be more than this. And I want the more. It's not about more excitement. It's not, it's not about bigger, louder, better. It's about knowing you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you are deepening that desire in us, that thirst and that hunger within us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as the song is sung, that we are ministered to by you and we are to be found in you. We start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good.